Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one hundred in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. today on the ProSwim Workouts podcast was a man who has been to the Olympics both as an athlete and as a coach. He is currently working with Swimming Queensland as a coach and club development officer and regarded as one of the best coaching minds in the business. I know I certainly feel that way. It's a massive welcome to Mr. Barry Prime. Barry, how are you going, mate? I'm very well and uh, thanks for your very kind introduction. No, it's all right, mate. It's, it was very easy for me to to find some nice words to say about you, mate. Now, you've had a lot of experience in your time, Barry, as a coach from the highest levels, you know, the elite levels to obviously the grassroots and, and a lot of the younger developing clubs that you're working with at the moment with your, with your working there with Swimming Queensland and you're getting to see, you know, how athletes are nurtured and, and produced. I think you're very uniquely qualified, mate, to discuss the things that we're going to talk about today in terms of you know, long-term athlete development and developing a program and, and, you know, taking swimmers from, as I said, the junior level all the way through. So let's start with age group coaching, mate. At the moment, what do you think the best age group coaches are doing? And what do you think maybe the less successful ones, where are they going wrong? Well, I think the best age group programs, I think the coaches have a very good work ethic. I mean, that's the coaches, not just, just the swimmers. Uh, but I feel the best age group programs um, are also working particularly well with their athletes technically. Mm. Um, you need a, an excellent work ethic as well, but they're creating the discipline that the program needs. And without discipline in the program, the coach can't actually coach. So first of all, you need excellent discipline. And once you've got that, the coach can perhaps relax a bit more and then allow his personality to flourish and also to allow him to go about his business of coaching the athletes themselves rather than being just a traffic cop and telling them when to leave. <laughs> um, those type of coaches, yeah, you don't, yeah, that's what they are. They're traffic yeah, cops, yeah. possibly not coaches with the, the utmost respect. Mm. I heard that term from Alan Thompson. He, he, he spoke to me about being a traffic cop once in terms of, you know, all you're there for basically when there's just kids everywhere and, you know, the program's probably not set out the way it should be is stop, start, you go, you don't go, you're on that time, you're off this time, you're not really coaching as such, are you? No, like, um, and these days you can get um, electronic clocks that can tell people, tell the athletes when to go and, and I think they're excellent because they free the, you can pre-plan plan these, these uh, programs within the clock and that frees the coach up to actually do the coaching, which is really important, you know, to actually refine the, the young swimmer's swimming technique. Because uh, mm. while a good work ethic is excellent and you require that, um, you need to ensure that the athlete has the fundamentals in place so that they can then develop 
at their natural pace and uh, reach the potential that they're capable of. It's interesting to talk about that, Barry. And I know working with Richard, who, who you know very well and who's I've interviewed on this show as well. Um, and he taught me a lot about making sure you're, you're making the program work. So you're finding time to, to work with each group or each swimmer and not just ending up being a traffic cop. And he was talking about that being sort of limiting in, for me in terms of you know, having a look and, and setting it out in a better way. Is that, have you seen things like that as well? Like in terms of, you see a coach who's just doing a program and everyone's thrown under the same banner just because it's, you know, it's easier to keep it all rolling rather than, you know, these six swimmers go off at this time, those six swimmers are going to do this and then rotate around so you can get a little bit more one-on-one work, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think like the good coaches, that's what they do. They, they actually individualise the programs within the whole group. And I know that um, myself as a coach, when I was coaching on a daily basis, I might have 16 athletes, but I might have five or six different programs going on within that program. Um, and then the athletes manage, manage that particular component themselves, which then freed me up to actually coach, get the information that I require from them. Uh, stroke count, heart rate, times, but it also freed me up to uh, to work with them technically throughout a specific set that they are actually doing. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, club coaches out there listening to that discussion and they're saying, well, that's great, Robbie, but uh, I only have three lanes because my pool that I work at only give me a certain la- a number of lanes available and things like that. Is it important also to work around constraints? I mean, I I work at a a privately run place myself and there's always constraints happening. I mean, the other day I had a lane taken off me. I didn't even get told about it. So there's there's always things going on that you've got to kind of work around. Is it important to just be able to work on the run, if you know what I mean, not be set in a certain way because things are going to change, aren't they? Well, I think it is. Coaches need to be innovative and to be able to respond to the situation what's directly in front of them. So... While it would be great to have um, an eight or 10 lane, 50 meter pool and ideal conditions, that's not always the situation. And so coaches need to be able to adapt and the good ones do adapt to those situations and still uh, are able to create good athletes coming from their program. A good example of that would um, would be uh, the gentleman in New Zealand who's uh, trying to think of his name off the top of my head, Gary Hollywood, yeah, I was who say, only has yeah. three lanes in New Zealand, but he's had somebody achieving, uh, you know, silver medal at the World Championships in mm. 400 IF. Yeah, Lewis so there's an ex- pardon, Lewis Clairbert. Yeah, so there's an example of somebody that manages that situation. And uh, good coaches deal with that regardless. You know, they create the discipline in their program, the motivation from the athletes as well. They inspire their athletes and they set the standards that they, they want, you know. And those coaches that are not in that situation, with respect to them, and I know it's never easy, then they may well have reasons as to why they can't do it, you know, but the good ones manage it. I know that. Um, Paul Bergen, 1978, he, I think he had three world champions at working out of a 25-yard pool with limited space. He did a lot of 25s and 50s. Mm. 
and um, yeah, managed three world championships in a, in a, in a difficult situation. I was going to say, so similar to Doug Frost and Ian Thorpe out of Padstow, the little 25-metre pool there, and that's where Ian Thorpe trained and, and was produced. Yeah, and um, Doug did a great job in his uh, younger development years and taking Ian through to the successes that he had. And myself, I've always been brought up in Great Britain, working out of 27 and a half yards, six lane, wooden hut. But I got my first Olympian from, from that 16 year old girl for 200 backstroke. Um, moved on to the next program. It was a four lane, 30 yard pool, but we had water space. Moved on to the next program, a six lane pool, 25 yards held up by scaffolding. We had a world record holder and Olympic medalist developed out of there. Mm. So, Provided you've got water space and the coaches wants to become the best that they can become, then they usually find a way around the issues that they have to overcome. At a junior level, say from ages eight to even 13, I mean, I think certainly 13 is still a junior swimmer, if not even a little bit more. What are some of the fundamentals that coaches must be getting right to ensure that we're nurturing the swimmers towards being successful? I think they need to, uh, particularly the young, like if they're eight, they probably don't even need to be training then, if I'm honest. You know, I think they need to be probably uh, playing in the water and experiment themselves. Now, I know in Australia, a lot of of people swim because of the nippers. So they they do train, um, you know, X number of times throughout, throughout the week. But I feel that more play and fun should be included in the program within these young swimmers. I think uh, they, yeah, like um, push off, streamline, floating. Jade Edmonston has a great program with Encore, which, which teaches the, the, the young swimmers how to float, how to control their body in the water, various movements, but control in their body. So basically the fundamentals, mm. float, flotation, Um, push off glide develop their kick in Uh, without a great kick it's difficult to stay up so once you've got a great kick that enables you to stay afloat and then you can then have more control over the movement of your limbs as well so there's some of the fundamentals that 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 they need along with um, feel of the water, sculling, those types of things. Anything that will develop a good feel of the water will put the swimmer in good stead for later on. And I feel that sculling, that can be done standing up. It can be doing whilst you're floating. It can be yeah. uh, floating. And um, I always thought that uh, I was going to do it, but I, I did it on a few occasions. If I was coaching now, I would stand on the bottom of the water pool you know in shallow water doing sculling movements to so the athlete gets that particular component right at a at a young age and Mm. uh, experimenting and playing too and myself as a young athlete I didn't start training till I was 12 I was on on the national youth team at 15 I was swimming in Russia at 16 Mm. you know so people can be developed um very quickly 
Mm. Uh, by the way, I've only got 20% on my phone left now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all good. Um, we'll, we'll see how we go. You let me know if you get yeah. lower than 10 and I'll, 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 yeah. we'll find a way we'll to make it We'll stop and then I'll go and find another way and rehook up again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's easy. Um, it's interesting you say that about starting at 12. I was talking to uh, English swimmer at the moment, Anna Hopkin, and, uh, and it was very interesting to note that she was very talented and successful at ages 12 and 13. And she decided that she just wasn't enjoying swimming anymore. Things were being forced upon her in terms of how many sessions she had to do, how much work she had to be doing, all these sort of things. Um, and, and she decided, I didn't want to swim anymore. So she took a break and she came back, I think, in, when she was 16, almost 17. And that following year, she, she became British champion in the 50-meter freestyle. Uh, and then she went on again to she's double champion now she's won it again I think two or three years later and and come to Commonwealth Games things like that is that an important lesson do you think Barry for for us coaches out there that okay there's many ways to skin a cat we don't need to be flogging these kids from 12 13 14 and and pushing them all the way through we can nurture them and look after them and as long as they're enjoying it we're sort of got to have an eye on the end game rather than right now yeah, I, th- I think that coaches probably need to educate the parents, really, to ensure that the pressure isn't coming from the parents. Mm. And, um, and to treat everybody, obviously, you're within a team environment. If you're not, create a team environment. But within that, then you, you need to work with the individuals as to what's appropriate for them. And just recently, we did a, a memoriam for Gennady Turetsky, who recently passed away, unfortunately. Mm. And, um, and I was fortunate to work with Gennady at the AIS for, for nine years. And um, he did a great job in uh, guiding, mentoring his athletes, and they all had the ultimate, ultimate respect for him. But um, he, did, he did a great job treating them as individuals and finding the way forward for that individual person yeah. because everybody is is different and while you want you know in a team environment everybody needed needs to do the same um or because of certain rules you may have in in place you need to be flexible and the i the 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 job is really to get the person to swim as long as they possibly can and to achieve their their full potential so that yeah you need many ways to deal with the people you're a man who gets the opportunity to go to a lot of programs. You get to see what's happening on the grassroots level and what us sort of age group and junior coaches are doing out there. What are you seeing in terms of some of maybe the, not so much mistakes, but where, where do you see people sort of put, putting their energy into that perhaps they could be putting their energy into, as we talked about before, more fundamental skills, enjoying swimming? Where, where are we sort of going away from? All right. Well, I think that uh, we have a lot of committed coaches in this country and, uh, and uh, there's various forms of commitment depending on the level of, that you're actually coaching at. And I feel that all the coaches have reasonable knowledge, a good knowledge of what needs to be done for the athletes that they're working with. And they can always talk it well mm. as to what should be done. Yeah. But then you you look at the performance of their athletes and their athletes represent the coach. So you can see 
how good the coach is by the performance of the athletes with respect to everyone. Mm. And I appreciate the difficulties that there are with lots of different programs and with coaches. I think everybody's doing their best, but can we do better? I think we can, mm. but I feel it's, if you like, for example, everybody that they might say, right, put, we're going eight fifties, push off, streamline ex dolphin kicks and then they need to observe the athlete what they're doing and if they do it correct congratulate them encourage them if they don't do it correct then still encourage them but point out where they can actually improve and to point and then perhaps you need to change the set for that person and ensure that they may push off and streamline better than they did mm. so rather than just give it ver the verbal uh, directions. They need to follow that up in uh, correcting the athlete throughout the, the particular set that they're doing and to, to communicate with the athlete uh, as to what they need to do. And I think communication is an important ingredient. All the good coaches are great communicators with their athletes and they, they um, yeah, like... Uh, they verbally explain um, difficult, difficult tasks in a simple language. All the best coaches that I've heard talk on all these podcasts, they talk in a simple language mm. and they communicate extremely well with their athletes. So I feel that these coaches need, need to do a better job with respect. Um, I'm not a know-all. I understand the difficulties when coaching, but need to set the standard that you want for the program. And if you want great streamlining, ensure you get great streamlining. Mm. If you want great technique, ensure that you get great technique. And what have you got to do to actually achieve that? Mm. And I can go on to that later, you know. And I feel the area we need to improve in is the fundamental skills and get the simple things right and do them really, really well. Um, and, uh, and then design the sets that you need to ensure you get those simple things right before you go on to more complex uh, um, situations within, with regards to swimming technique and the way people should perform in training. Do you think at times, Barry, and, and before I say this, I'll preference that I myself make these mistakes as well. I know I do. I've, I've been very conscious of it and I see it and I try and go back to, back to basics. Do you think sometimes, as I said before, we're so focused on the result. We always talk to our athletes about the process, follow the process. I think sometimes as coaches, we fall into it ourselves of looking at the outcome. Okay, we've got state so far away we've got to get these sessions in we've got to do that 200 set we've got to do this speed set all the while the technique is 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 going backwards we're not really addressing that because we're trying to get the body to to get a shift in terms of being fitter and faster but we're not addressing the the technical stuff do you see that a bit yes i do like obviously australia's tradition is uh, people used to get really fit and you come up against an Aussie on the world stage, you know they're going to be extremely fit and very competitive. But even in those, the, the older days, everyone emphasized swimming technique, and we yeah. still need to emphasize that and ensure that that's a priority as over, you know, in addition to supporting that with the physiology as well and the psychology of an individual by exposing them to... Uh, 
specific events to get the experience that they need to develop to the level that they're capable of achieving. But I feel traveling around, it's the technical area that people need to improve in. And, um, and for example, I think that these days that all programs should be getting their swimmers screened on a regular basis with the, by the physiotherapist mm -hmm. to see where, what areas they see what their mobility is like and the range of movement and then to work on the areas that they're weak in. And so the, so that technically they can place their limbs in the positions that you want them to actually be placed in, as opposed to purely just training the athlete with the, uh, with poor technique over and over again. And I, I respect that they, they have pressure from parents as well, but it's the coach's job to educate the parents as well. It's interesting you talk about screening and working with physios and obviously psychologists as well, sports psychologists, nutritionists. Have you seen that in your time change a lot, Barry? I know certainly um, back when I swam, nowhere near at the level of the people I talked to on the podcast by any means, but you know, Alan Thompson was, you get, you went to him for nutrition. You went to him for your physio advice. You went like the head coach was, he knew everything that was who you went to do you think as we've progressed in our sport we've realized okay we we don't know that as well as we probably should we need to outsource that and create a good team environment around us so we can you know get the best of of each world if that makes sense yes we do like you need to work with specialists where that's possible you know and um in 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 days gone past that might have been when the AIS was in place, that may have been just the AIS that had those, those you know, the experts in place on a daily basis. Then State Institute of Sport were created, and now they have experts in place. And what you find is some of, some of the uh, best age group programs now, they also work with specialists. They have physiotherapists coming in and screening their athletes on a regular basis. They have nutritionists coming in and, and providing talks to the parents and um, and also to the swimmers as well. Or, or through the uh, COVID situation, they, they would do that via the Zoom. Yeah. And so, so the, 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 yeah, the, the best programs are doing that and that needs to filter down to, to all programs really and to work with the specialists that they have in their particular town or, or particular area where, where they live. It's interesting. Again, we talk about, you know, um, things like Zoom and I think Zoom has been very uh, innovative in terms of us being able to communicate with our athletes. We can now have those meetings with the swimmer and the parent just at home. We don't have to wait around till 7.30, 8 o'clock at night on pool deck for, or, or wait back in the mornings or anything like that. In terms of innovation, how important is it that we're looking at things like using iPads on the pool deck to, to give the kids a visual of, of what's that, you know, they're doing in the pool, thinking outside the box. Greg Troy said to me the other day, you know, there's many ways to skin a cat. How important is it that we do think that way? And we're not just sort of pigeonholing ourselves. No, I think technology plays an important role becoming more important. And I think that, um, if the coach can show the athlete how they're swimming, I think that that's excellent. You know, myself, I would actually find someone to do that with me mm -hmm. or for me. 
um, so that I can still focus on observing what the swimmer's doing and providing them with, uh, with that feedback through the training process as, as well as the technical process. But I, if possible, I would get somebody else to video them and then I would sit down with the athlete to, uh, to go over that video with them as well. Um, so that didn't take all my time up videoing one athlete and leaving all the others. Um, but or, or you, you arrange a special day where filming is the priority yeah. and you bring in the athletes individual at specific times and you, you create that uh, throughout the day so that everybody gets the individual attention that they actually require with regards to, uh, to their technique. Hey, we touched on there with uh, the, the COVID break. What about for all the programs out there who have not long been back? I know a lot of people are going to be listening to this from all over the world, different countries. So everyone's been affected differently. Some have been back for a long time. Some are only just getting back into it. How important is it that they don't rush their athletes back into work and they get those fundamentals right again, back, you know, such as feel, back as with the skills, with you know, the technical stuff rather than just getting back in and trying to get those fitness back with kilometers of work? No, I think people should start back and look long term, you know, four year blocks. I know that everybody looks to the next competition, but um, if it was me coaching now, I would be looking towards 2032 unless I've got some, sorry, yeah, 20. 24, 20, yeah. 28, 2032. Obviously, if you've got somebody looking for 2021 in Tokyo, you've obviously got to prepare them for that. But there's, once again, there's looking at the long-term prospects of an athlete rather than the short-term fix. Mm. And I would actually spend time in, I think it's a good opportunity for people to use the COVID situation to improve the level that their program was at by improving the discipline, uh, improving um, the education of the athletes, taking longer to get the fundamental skills right to the level that the coach would really enjoy, and, and set short-term goals for the athletes, whether that's two or four weeks. So there were short-term goals that the athletes could try and achieve during those periods. Even if it was right, we're going to spend two or three weeks to get the streamlining right. If it was two or three weeks, we're going to get work on the, the dolphin kicking to ensure that the transition from dolphin kicking into the breakout is good. However long it takes to do that, do it. Mm. Set the goals that you want to achieve um, with fundamental skills and technique and build that up over, over a period of time and gradually um, increase the volume over that period of time so that the athletes are performing really good technique over whatever distances they're performing uh, throughout the training process. And, um, and once again, you have to educate the parents, educate the club. So you do that by holding regular meetings um, with the swimmers, with the parents, with the club to ensure that they're on board with what your goals are and your philosophy of the sport. Mm. Uh, it, it's interesting. The other day I, I had uh, an assistant coach of mine. I was very proud of him actually. He came up to me and he, he asked for help and he said, I just found there's certain areas that I'm lacking in knowledge and can you help me? Do you hear that very often as, as a, 
as a mentor coach, I mean, you're certainly someone I would go to for, for advice, but do you think sometimes coaches out there don't do that as much as they should be, even at, you know, an age group level, even at an elite level, like for myself, if I had someone come into my program that was uh, an elite athlete, I'd certainly be looking to someone for advice because that's not something I have experience in. Yes. Um, coaches are often wrapped up in their daily routine that they then often make reasons as to why they can't go and visit other programs, for example, if they want to see another program training and learn from another coach. But um, once again, throughout the nation now in the various states, the, you, there's development officers or coaches where, where the coaches can actually call on and, and use these people as a resource, like for myself and Brant Best, who do these roles here in uh, Swimming Queensland, and Drew McGregor, who's the direct, director of coach development. We're there to, for a resource for the coaches. So they can contact us for information that they that they may require or knowledge that may re, they may require and if and if we're not the expert or we don't know the answer we will know the expert so they can get the answer and we can link them up and put them in touch but i do feel that um, young coaches need to well all coaches need to learn off people that are a little bit better than the level they're at at this moment in time so eventually they can gradually improve the standard of their coaching and the, the, the standard of their, their particular program as well, if, that, if that's at all possible. <clears throat> Is that the key, do you think, Barry, to transitioning from a, a, you know, an age group coach into, say, more of a mentor for an elite athlete? I sort of see that from afar and definitely talking to the athletes and talking to the coaches that I've had on here, you know, as a, an, an age group coach, you're definitely the coach. You're more of an authoritarian, for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, things have got to be done a certain way and they've got to learn it. As the athletes get older, 19, 20, 21, you've kind of got to take more of a mentor role and allow, you know, the, the athletes to have a little bit of input. Is that the key to, as a coach, learning that? Like, you know, being around for me, you know, coaches such as yourself, such as Drew and, and, and taking pieces of information and learning? Um, you always need to learn and as uh, soon as you want to stop learning then you're going to stay stagnant and the sport is never going to stay stagnant you know the good ones are always going to be progressing so if the young coaches are ambitious then they need to upgrade their knowledge and there's no reason these days why people can't upgrade their knowledge with all the information that's available on the internet and um, but having said that, there's, there's no better way than to go and observe the best coaches in action mm. and to talk to them. And that's actually not on the internet. So if you want to learn the, the subtleties of coaching, then you need to go and observe the best coaches in action. And I think I heard Bob Bowman on one of your podcasts talk about go and listen to what the coaches are actually saying to their athletes at the meet. Stand close to them and listen how they communicate with their athletes at the meet. But this is what people need to do, you know. And if they're not doing it, then um, they're not going to gain the knowledge that they actually require. They can learn off the, the athletes they're coaching, but it's there's there's no better way than to go and observe 
the best programs in action or those that you compete against or those that are at a slightly higher level than you so that you can slowly up, upgrade your knowledge and, and lift the standard of performance within your home program, mm. within your own program. Now, these are just words. I understand <laughs> people yeah. may know what to do, but unless they're going to do it, then they're, they're not going to improve, you know. And um, I've always been fortunate to actually have good people that I could uh, call on. When I first came to Australia, that I had a network of coaches that I used to speak to during the evenings. And I wasn't married at that particular time, so I used to spend the evenings on the phone to some of the best coaches. And what the best coaches do, well, they, they love talking about swimming. And in Great Britain, when I was there, I was fortunate to grow up as an athlete and I knew all the best coaches. So it was easy for me to go up to them and ask questions and learn from them as I was progressing from an age group coach to, to um, yeah, high performance coach. So, um, yeah, and coaches, from what I see in Australia, are always prepared to share knowledge. They're very, very open. And if people aren't, then... Um, you know, you look for someone that will will share knowledge, but I haven't come across anyone that won't share knowledge. I They'll willingly do it. Yeah, I agree with you. Talk to me about coaching trends, Barry. What have you seen? I, I think, and again, I'll go back to the beginning. I think you're uniquely qualified. I'm not trying to offend you in any way, but say so you've been around long enough that you know you've. you've but I do think you've seen I am, the trends. Uh, but I don't. I don't use a walking stick just at the moment. <laughs> but but I've been around a fair time. And, you know, I've been very fortunate, but a young spirit at heart. <laughs> yeah, talk to me about coaching trends. And what have you seen? you know, from, from your time and when you first started in coaching and where we're at now and where you think we're going to get to in the future. And I know certainly looking at athletes' ages these days, I spoke to Hannah Miley the other day. I think she's 30, turning 31 and she's going to try and be going to the Tokyo Olympics next year. Uh, that would have been unheard of sort of maybe 15, 20 years ago. I, I think, you know, back in the day it was if you weren't 16, 17 and you weren't right up there, well, then you might as well look at packing it in soon because you, you're not going to make it, kid. Where Now we've got 31-year-olds. I'm sure there was – I can't remember the, the athlete's name, but there was a woman who went away and had a child and, and come back and, 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 you know, was successful again. Have you seen trends in your time that are now leading us down a path of, you know, anything's possible really? Yeah, I think we've moved on a lot from the 70s and 80s training methodology where it was high volume and, um, and possibly high intensity uh, here in Australia at the time and with a tradition of uh, middle distance and distance swimming and the pendulum swung possibly too far the other way where people perhaps weren't doing enough volume. You know, I feel that it's important to have a balance between uh, the volume of work for the individual and what's appropriate for them. And this may, uh, you know, like I'm not going to give you numbers as such, but, but you work with the individual and you do what's appropriate for them. For example, I believe the right, my philosophy would be swim short distances with good technique initially, mm. have a great kick, uh, have gr excellent coordination. And make sure you develop the fundamental skills and do them well. And with young swimmers, ensure they're having a great time. And that's even with senior athletes too. Uh, 
Yeah. And don't underestimate the social aspect of swimming, which is very high um, up the list. Most swimmers swim because they enjoy it, and most swimmers swim because it's socially it's great. Mm. And um, but that my philosophy: swim short distances with good technique. Once you can do that, you extend the distance, but maintaining the technique. And everybody is different, so you need to work with the athletes to get that. Other people may have a philosophy that we're going to swim longer distances and we're going to try and modify the technique through swimming those longer distances. But, but I feel that more and more coaches these days are swimming more specifically um, but uh, aerobic swimming shouldn't be underestimated. So you have a good range from the aerobic levels with good speed and uh, good good specific conditioning as well as athletes develop. But you need a good aerobic background, in my view, and you be able you need to be able to swim technically well, whether you're swimming fast or slow. Mm. And uh, with respect to all the athletes and coaches. Uh, throughout the world. The best swimmer that I've seen do that is Alexander Popov. He could swim well whether he was swimming slow or fast. My, my philosophy would be however you can get the athlete to look good, if they need equipment to look good technically, allow them to use it. Yeah. Most athletes start to look better when they swim 400 pace or faster. A better coordination, higher in the water, and um, yeah, that uh, they just look better technically. So it makes me think sometimes. Ah, perhaps if you swim short distances, but you're swimming with good speed, but you've got enough rest, you won't get broken down, and then the body will adapt to that. So, for example, you can swim 200 pace over. <clears throat> 15, 20, 25 meters. Um, I like, for, for example, this is for someone that swims 150. Mm. I used to go 825s on 40 or 45 at 200 pace, and that was quite easy for him. Um, but it was very good. He looked very good technically at that pace as well. Mm. You know, so for coaches need a good eye and to design the sets for the individual and group athletes together so that they can perform in training, maintaining the best technique possible. Uh, for example, I used to coach some breaststrokers and they weren't great at freestyle. They had that limp in their stroke that a lot of breaststrokers have. But what I did was gave them controlled breathing whether that was one in four, one in five, used a pull boy and that made their stroke look much smoother. And we did a lot of the aerobic work like that. Or you can use a snorkel where that they don't breathe and that would enhance their, you know, their technique as well. Or you can use fins and, um, and in, yeah, to ensure that the athletes maintain good technique. Gennady Turetsky once, he had a girl break the world record and, um, and all, what she did was all the swimming was with little paddles and fins. So anything to do with swimming was with little paddles and fins. And, uh, and the race pace work was done on a towing machine so that she could swim at race pace with ease mm -hmm. uh, or with the, with the appropriate coordination and stroke rate. 
And that's how she was developed. And she broke the world record on 200 backstroke in the mid 90s. That was Clementine Stoney. It was a world short course world record. But that, that once again, you find the way forward with an individual and they are all different. I think that's perfect advice, mate. Listen, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, you're obviously a coach who ha- has had great experience, um, you know, down at the AIS, as you said, for nine years. Um, you're over in, in Britain as well. You've coached, you know, all over the place. What mistakes have you made? What, what, you know, what times have you sort of, you know, had to learn from your athletes that, you know, maybe you were going down the wrong path? Because obviously it's not all roses. Even Greg Troy I was talking to the other day, you know, we'd, he, he was making, talking about his early days and all the mistakes he made. He said he tried not to make the same mistake again, but he certainly made them. What mistakes have you sort of made and, and learned from, you know, might have been in the early days, but, you know, the athletes, you know, sort of gave you feedback or you just learn it on the run? Um, I don't think I made any mistakes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think I made any. I think when you start off as a coach, you actually, you perform this type of sets that you used to do as an athlete yep. with the, with the coaches that you had. Yep. Then once you've been in it for a number of years, you start to create your own philosophy um, of coaching. And then, then also you, you, you learn from other coaches, you look at perhaps a particular set they may have done. I don't believe in just copying other people's sets. I think if you think there's a, a specific set that's good, you can then look at it and then see, right, is this set good for my athlete or how could I modify it to suit my, my, my particular athlete, you know? Um, for example, I've never considered myself to be the most knowledgeable coach in the country, but I've always considered myself to, to learn from the best people yeah. that I could possibly learn from. And uh, when I was younger, I used to read all the magazines. This may not... You know, this may not answer your question because I'm trying to think what major mistakes did I did I make? Here's one. Just bef- in 1990, we were trying m- myself and my athlete. We, the goal was to try and break a world record at the Commonwealth Games. Unfortunately, just before we flew, we did a particular set, 8:50s on two minutes, and. Um, and that was probably a set we shouldn't have done. It pushed him over the edge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and unfortunately, he got a virus. Now, it may not, and then he did, did, wasn't able to perform. We came away with a bronze medal, which we thought was not good enough, mm. you know. But um, we didn't know he was ill at the time at the meet until after he had a blood test to see that he had a virus. Now, it may not have been that specific test that pushed him over the edge, but it, but it may have been, you know, so I learned that um, really, you know, when you've got to do some travel halfway around the world, that the day before you don't do something highly intense, you know, you allow the body to recover somewhat so they can manage the the travel and, and the the time change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So there's, there's just one example, you know, but I find that the coaches learn from their athletes. You learn from your best athletes. 
you learn from watching your best athletes compete against the opposition to see how they compare. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, other, other situations. I think other situations may be that perhaps I could have done a better job with people that were highly emotional mm-hmm. and um, to try and take pressure off them or to, to provide them with more professional guidance and how to manage their emotions better. You know, um, I did coach a few swimmers that I feel lost out. They were very good technically, uh, but lost out when the pressure was on because they were were too emotional. And I probably, as a coach, could have um, foreseen that and uh, tried to have done a better job in that area. I may not have been the expert, but perhaps provide them with the link to the expert so they could have got um, better better education and counseling um, for them as a, an individual. Yeah. I think that's perfect. But I mean, everyone out there has, has things that they learn and they go through and <clears throat> pardon me, I'll just throw one out there for myself. I think something that I've only learned recently was that quite often before we'd get to a, a major meet, maybe my two weeks away, whatever it might've been, I used to find myself doing, uh, you know, time trials. So they they go on a state to do a 200, I'll be doing a 200, for time or whatever it might've been. And I remember Richard, I'll go back to Richard sort of question me. He's like, why are you, you know, doubting yourself that you've done the job that the athlete's ready to go. That's all you're doing really is, is yeah. trying to prove that you're, you're ready to go. Well, why do you need to prove it? You should be trusting in what you're doing. And that took me a while to, to learn. And, and as I said, now I, I have, and I, I certainly don't sort of push those limits, but it was something that a mistake I was making. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, once again, you know, have trust in your program and review it after each each uh, major competition. Well, in the end, you're constantly reviewing your program on a daily basis. You know, you may have something planned, but the athlete's tired. So if they're really fatigued, then often you would say, oh, look, swim through this program until you feel better. And um and once you've recovered, then then we can go again, you know. So so coaches should be constantly reviewing their program and learning learning for themselves and on how to plan and manage their own program. And once again, confidence is a big thing. And it's one of the coaches' jobs to provide confidence to their athletes. And I think in many instances, take the pressure off the athlete when you're going into a meet mm-hmm. and reassure them. And, uh, and that can work the opposite way. Sometimes people need, you need to be firm with an athlete going into a meet. Mm. You know, an example of that would be, I was working with an elite athlete. We we're trying to swim fast um, uh, mid-season at a particular meet. And uh, it, was, it was in Great Britain. And the athlete, it was a world-class athlete. We wanted to swim 213. Um, or 214 at a time where he wouldn't normally swim that and the pool wasn't a fast pool it was just mm-hmm. one meter deep throughout and he he said Barry I, I feel terrible he said um, the fo- the pool feels like treacle you know and I leant over to the to the swimmer and I tried a few other tricks prior to that in my tool toolbox and then I said look and I mentioned his name I said look Nick I'm not worried how you feel. 
you take responsibility for your actions and your job is to hit the standards that we want for this particular meet and what we've been preparing for. So deal with it and get the job done. You're well capable of it, you know. And I said that in quite a forceful, forceful manner. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't always do that, but you pick yeah. your times when you have to be firm and the times where you can be, be more relaxed, whether someone needs pressure on them to perform or people need or you need to take pressure off someone to perform you know but having said that as well we'd worked through a number of number of situations prior to that to ensure that he felt better in the water and the moral of that tale is you don't always have to feel good in a warm-up to swim fast a lot of it is between your ears Mm -hmm. and a lot of times people swim great in the warm-up and feel brilliant then they dive in the pool for the race and feel lousy Mm -hmm. so it can work either way but you need to really understand your athletes well Mate, I want to wrap up with a question around programming um, and certainly for a lot of coaches out there that are looking at their program and maybe they're about to go to a program, they're going to start you know, developing their own. What are the keys? I know we've talked about fundamentals in terms of what we need to be doing, but and we've talked about communication. What, what are the keys to a successful program, do you think? And I, and I want to ask another thing. Do you think it's longevity in terms of staying there and, and building it? Because I, I talked to Greg Troy, as I mentioned before, and he, he you know, is adamant about you know, making your grass greener. Everyone talks about you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, but you know, he, he's very adamant in making your grass greener and um, sticking at it and understanding your environment and making it work. What are, what are the keys to a successful environment, do you think? Um. Having a great coach that's going to provide the leadership skills, really, and having a coach that's got some ambition um, and setting the standards for the program, uh, whatever that those standards are. Um, myself, I've often moved every four years. Mm-hmm. That was particularly the case in Britain, and it coordinated with the Olympic Games every four years, for mm-hmm. example, Initially, I moved. I was working for a club. Um, I felt that we needed more water time and that we could get that from the council. So the next job was working for a local authority. And working within the local authority, I could get whatever water time I wanted when I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then then, uh, from there, I felt I needed to be better at administration. And... um, so I took on a job which was the big, biggest uh, local authority in Europe all the time. Um, at the time, in the city of Birmingham, had six thousand learn to swim, an advanced coaching scheme, and twenty-seven swimming clubs around it. So that was once again I was moving up the ladder, mm-hmm. and um, and then from that job there was another position that came as a as a breaststroke coach at the Institute of Sport, which I applied for, and I was very fortunate to get it. So there's me actually moving every four years to coincide with the Olympics until I was ultimately, and what was arguably, one of the very best programs in the world, you know, and one of the the leaders of uh, the world as well, working with a group of international coaches, which was absolutely brilliant. But to get back to your question, the, the, other, the other way is 
to constantly try and improve your program. Like, for example, ensure your program's got um, good discipline. Ensure you educate the athletes with good time management. All right, ensure you have a program where it's got excellent technique. The fundamentals are good and don't accept anything less. Mm -hmm. Look at the athletes, how they're swimming. Do they have a good feel of the water? Do they have good coordination? Are they performing the sets to the level of your expectations? And the coach has to set the standard. You know, then you devise your methodology. What is it? And that can constantly be upgraded, but have it. Keep it simple. Doesn't need to be complicated. And then uh, take responsibility for the standard of performance that's happening. And if it's to your level, good. And if it's not, discuss it with your program and the athletes so that they do gradually uh, come to your level. Ensure that the athletes are committed to the training process. Ensure that you sit down with the athletes and you... They, they work out what their aims and goals are and you guide them. And then uh, try and group together people of similar ability and similar mindset so they have training partners. And people are training to the level of your expectations. Now, that's easier said than done. And everybody can talk it. But then you've got to follow that up with action. Mm-hmm. And always remember that your action is what you do on a daily basis to try and improve your athletes. The level of your program is shown by your athletes performing in the pool every time you go to a swim meet. So coaches can talk as much as they want on, how, on what's meant to be done and everybody will know it, but whether you, the coaches are doing or performing it or not on a daily basis, will be shown when your athletes turn up to the competition. And I say that with the utmost respect to all young coaches and those that have been in it a long time. And I understand uh, it's, not, it's not always easy, but find a way to do it. Yeah. And coaches are good. The good ones are good at not taking no for an answer. They work around the problems and overcome them and uh, to get to the level that they they want to be successful at and uh, best wishes to everyone too. And back yourself, back the knowledge that you have. You're in the best country in the world for swimming. All right. Surrounded by water, make the most of it and let's go Australia. I think that is perfect advice and a perfect place to, to wrap things up for today, Barry. Thank you very much, mate, for coming on for a chat. I know you're a busy man. We've caught you at work. You're always busy and you're always traveling around and meeting many uh, clubs and coaches and, and swimmers. So thank you very much for, for donating your time and your knowledge. And uh, hopefully, I know I certainly have jotted down notes. I don't know if you noticed that, but while you were talking, I was writing things. So hopefully a lot of people listening were, you know, doing the same um, and they should be if they're looking for, you know, to, to improve themselves, they certainly should be doing that. So thank you very much for coming on for a chat, mate. Robbie, thank you. I really appreciate you asking me and I really appreciate the job you're doing for swimming as well. You're doing an excellent job and spreading, spreading knowledge throughout Australia and it's that sharing of knowledge that's going to ensure that Australia is successful on the world stage uh, in the future. And um, so keep up the great job. Really, really appreciate it.
Thank, Thank you. you very much, man. I thought you carried me today, to be honest, but uh, I, I appreciate Not it. Not at all. <laughs> no, you, you're doing an excellent job. And I can tell you, I can call a spade a spade. Don't you worry about that. But you're doing an excellent job. And I know people out in the swimming community think you're doing an excellent job too, because I get to talk to them. Well, all thank right. you very so, much, Barry. No, thank you. You take care and uh, talk to you soon. Cheers, mate. I just want to be-